Hi everyone, welcome to the 92,000 Hours Podcast. I'm so excited about today's episode. We will be speaking with my friend, Natalie Murray, and we will be talking about culture. We delve into organizational culture, societal culture, even family cultures, and we talk about how we all contribute to the cultures that we are already in. And Natalie has so much to share with us here. She is a strategy and innovation consultant, a student experience expert, and a doctoral student. And she studies transformation. How cool is that? So let's begin. All right, so you know, because I gave you a head start that I have my standard first question for every person. So let's ask it. If you remove work, school, volunteerism, I'm going to say research for you. Um, All of those things that we do, if you take that away, what are you, what's your greatest accomplishment or what are you most proud of as a human? What am I most proud of as a human? Um, It's such a remarkable question. And um, I think it just, thank you for asking. Um, There's, there's a few things that like I cite um, for myself and I was actually just having a conversation with a colleague that this came up um, around something that I was really, really proud of. Um, And it's my relationship with my husband. Um, I'm just like, it's not perfect, but it is honest and real and we're both in it. And I just love that, that piece um, like of how that's developed. So I'm just really like it's something I invest in. I've been very intentional about and, and just to see it five years after we met, like it's remarkable. Um, there's two other things that I'll mention to you that I think like equally important as my, um, as my relationship with my husband is like my, the journey that I'm on, the recognition that I'm on a journey of development and integration and understanding and, and who I am today is not going to be who I am you know, tomorrow or (laughs) a month or a year or many years in the future. And I, I look forward to that. I'm curious about, um, those things and what I'll learn and, and, and who I am today and who I will be. Um, so those are like the two major things, uh, just on a, like a silly note, I have an uncanny ability to collect office supplies. Like I, I am cleaning out my office. It's the end of the year. So I'm kind of doing some like pre-spring cleaning. And I mean, I found five staplers. Um, no one needs five staplers. <laughs> so I love that so much. You know that there are people that are listening to this podcast that are like, oh, she gets me. Um, I know for sure that our producer of this podcast is going to be in love because she talks all the time about her, like the best place to go shopping is Staples. Like, (laughs) I know that's wonderful. Well, we can, we can connect because I mean, I have all the pins and all the post-it notes of various sizes (laughs) and the highlighters for the different reasons. Highlighters. Yes. The many colors. Yeah, absolutely. I love that so much. I love that you gave me three examples and it's so funny when you bring those up just because I'm just so happy about this podcast because as you brought up the, the relationship with your husband in a past podcast, we had Alana Dunnigan talking about communication. And one of the big things she talked about was how important and how hard communication is in terms of your marriage and how like, and it's different than the communication you have at work. So it's just like a really interesting how much yeah. we have to invest in that with our spouses. Yes. And then just last week, I interviewed a, a principal of a Title I school who has been in the news um, recently about how she's been um, incorporating, she's at an elementary school and she hung flags of where all of the students' um, countries of origin are but she also hung black lives matter flag and a trans rights flag and, um, or support flag. And, and she, she talked about being on a journey, just like you did that. She said, in some ways we all have this idea, like we're going to get somewhere. And she said, I think that presence right now, like you might see that the meaning and purpose in your life is already here. 
mm-hmm. and that you're doing mm-hmm. the thing right now that you're supposed to be doing, which right. is super interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and to have that presence to realize that there's value and meaning in this moment and that you can contribute in this moment and that this moment has the lessons and the learnings to propel you for the next. Yeah. It's just really powerful. I yeah. totally agree. Well, you've told me that you would be, that you were willing to talk about the subject of culture. And of course, you know, I'm super interested in culture and, um, and as I told you before, like I have fangirl pieces about it that I dive into it sometimes. And, um, so of course I always start out like, okay, so what is the definition of culture? Um, right. Like, so if we were to just talk about it generally, and of course we'll get into work culture, but overarchingly culture itself, like what is the definition I have? Like it's the, it's basically the behaviors and norms within human societies. So that might be within a community and it might be within a household and it might be within a workplace. But, um, what do you think of that? definition of behaviors and norms within societies. Yeah. The behaviors and norms, I think are like the manifestation of the underpinning of culture. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the, I guess what I I guess I'm kind of seeing culture as like multidimensional and, and as you, as you kind of describe that there's like big picture culture of society and then there's micro, um, uh, micro societies or mini societies in which are embedded in the larger and it's all a system. Um, so I, I love that, that definition and really, you know, like the behaviors and norms, there's also, I think like what is driving those behaviors and norms and those, those kinds of assumptions or beliefs can get at like, what's, what's kind of like the changes there. Cause you could change behavior or you could change an kind of like a a standard and you might not change like the, the actual assumption behind that. It's so deep. Like that is so like, uh, if we really peel it away, it's super deep. And at first Mm -hmm. when I was reading like just the standard definition of like behaviors and norms, given the type of person I am, gives me a little bit of like, whoa, I don't know if I like that (laughs) because I want, in some ways that sounds passive, right? Like you have the culture you're in. And it is what it is. And there's, you know, the, the person that I am is like, no, I want to have an effect. I don't like passive anything. I like active stuff. And so, um, and I think we work around the margins of that, especially if you're in any kind of a leadership role, in fact, leading from wherever you are, you might be doing that. So like, I'm interested in your ideas about, all right. So if it is, if culture is behaviors and norms, then how do we influence it? Yeah. Okay. So I love that you just brought this up because it's something um, that we have to remember that we're people, that culture is, is something that happens through from interactions of people and, um, and that you are an, an person or a being in that. Um, so you're a player in that. Um, and, and I think that that's part of um what you have to kind of assess is that who are you being in the larger organization or the larger society and that you still have agency and determination of what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. Um, and so I, yeah, that's so, that's so important. The other piece of that though, is um, not just what you do, but your mindsets. And it was something that um, Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Because, yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll just, uh, I'll give a couple of examples because I really love this work. Um, and it's something I will say, frankly, that I have, um, just really like observed in myself and then wondered about others is that, um, what are my assumptions and ideas coming into any given situation? And how does that influence how I show up, how I respond to others, how I interpret the situation? So if I'm um, assuming that a standing meeting that is, you know, can be contentious is going to be contentious and I put on my battle armor (laughs) and I put on my protective gear and I get my, um, get other people to help me 
I'm going into that with the assumption that it's going to be a certain way and likely I'm going to show up in a way that then influences it. Um, that's a mindset that I have. Also, you know, there's um, on a on a different level, you know, we've I've done a lot of work with the um, Center for Positive Psychology at University of Pennsylvania, and they do a beautiful job of talking about mind traps, um, which are cognitive dysfunctions, ways of thinking that um, are not necessarily helpful. So things like Am I reading someone's mind or am I in the present understanding a situation? Um, am I ruminating and catastrophizing? Those kinds of things also influence what I'm doing, also influence the larger culture. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily help me make the, the best decision on um, what, uh, what to do next. So there's millions of examples, but I, for me, kind of going back to the, your point, I have agency about how I act in any given situation, whether the culture is pushing me one way or the other, but also I have to recognize that I'm part of creating that culture. And, um, I have that accountability and responsibility to, um, foster what I, what I want, um, to be true for, for myself and others. So interesting. I love that you brought that up. And I mean, even got deeper into the mindset about it. Um, like, as you talk, I think of my own life. So I'm always using this to think through like, wow, I just learned something. And so, so for example, I, I have my own team that I lead and I'm, we're doing some work on here are our operational tenants and what are the behaviors we expect in them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I asked a team to work on like, help me do this. Let's do this together. And I got some feedback across some anonymous feedback across our team when we were started to work on this, that this isn't appropriate for us to work on in the, and HR or PNT should come in and do this for us. And for me, it was shocking. Cause I was like, they, this is, nobody's coming to save our culture. We have to do it. Like, this is us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. think that we might have a society or workplace cultures that make us think that somebody else is going to come in yeah. and tell us how to do it. But the doing of it is the actual culture. <laughs> right. Right. To have the, to have the culture of which you, you tackle hard problems together yeah. and you agree and disagree and work together to decide a path forward. That's that's a part, that's a culture. It sounds like you're trying to cultivate and, and no, no one's coming to save any organization and certainly no consultant is a perfect, you know, silver bullet because these things are complex. They're really complex. And it's so important that the people, um, in the, in it, um, are participating and see themselves as, as active in that. Do you have suggestions based upon your, like your life or your work experience and, and this, like, I love that you brought up that mindset thing, because I think that doesn't come up in culture conversations very often, how, how important are every single member of whatever, <laughs> whatever group, their mindset is so important in determining what the culture actually is. Um, do you have experiences of that or like ideas of how somebody, any one of us could be thinking about either how we show up, like you talked with our mindset or how do we even talk about that? Yeah. I'll just share a couple of things, something that I'm like working through and have for gosh, years. I was first introduced to, um, the work by the Arbinger Institute, like four years ago, um, around outward mindset. And, and then that's been reinforced by a psychologist that I follow, um, uh, um, Scott Barry Kaufman, who has a great book called transcend. And he talks about people as being ends of, of themselves and not ends of, you know, means <laughs> means to an end. Um, and essentially the, the outward mindset work is very much aligned with this idea that, um, you know, treating people as people and not as objects, um, to accomplish goals. And, um, I have definitely been guilty of that and, um, of, of not really seeing people as people and, um, and, you know, trying to accomplish whatever it was that I was trying to accomplish. Um, and that work hit me 
really deeply in understanding situations and understanding a variety of perspectives on situations. And I, I bring this up because it's a fundamental kind of assumption about what you're all doing together as a team, um, that you're a group of people working together, collaborating to accomplish the goal, but that you're not, um, you're not the means <laughs> people are not objects to accomplish the goal. They're people all working together. And, and, um, I guess that's the place where I would start is, is, you know, how do you understand each other as humans? Um, and is everybody kind of all on the same page with that? Um, the, um, the other, I don't know if that resonates. It totally um, does. And what's <laughs> interesting is that those are the types of conversations we don't have at work. Right. Right. We talk about goals and outcomes. Even when we talk about culture, we talk about here are the goals we're trying to accomplish. Here are the results we want to get to. Here are the like, but we don't say like, so here are the people yeah. that truly matter and how we work together. Like, and I know that we, I brought this up a little bit to you before, but like when we look at how I've loved how Ed Shine describes culture, because it is about how people, and I, I got to make sure I, I quote it, a shared pattern of assumptions that group members develop over time mm -hmm. as they work through problems like that. There's so much in that mm -hmm. definition to think about, right? Mm -hmm. Because culture is assumptions developed over time by people who are solving problems together. What? Yes. <laughs> So many facets to that. And also then like what happens when new people come in and how, and it, and it's okay that it shifts and all kinds of things, but yes, the development over time and that that's not necessarily something that is just like clicks in, like you can say, okay, here's our, here's our, here's cultural our culture. <laughs> yeah. Do it. <laughs> Does it, it, yeah, it, it, it doesn't work like that. Um, yeah. The, the other piece I think that's really lovely about that is the, is the, um, work through problems. You know, if you think about my family, my family works through problems and challenges. Um, our, our community, our neighborhood <laughs> works through, um, problems and challenges. And, um, and we might even extend that to see how people celebrate and triumphs. Um, you know, that might be another way of, of understanding how those norms, um, how those patterns solidify is not just working through problems, but also but celebrating, celebrating in some ways. I, it just occurred to me that like, if it, if culture does have to do with how we work through problems, then I think sometimes those of us who don't think about this stuff regularly, um, might think that if there are in fact problems that we have a bad culture. But this definition has to do with yeah. like, a, as if like problems are of course going to happen. It's what you do with them. Not, not that they exist. That's a problem with your culture. It's how you handle them that makes your culture strong or not. Probably. I don't know. Yeah. Do <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great insight. Um, yeah. What are our assumptions about problems that come up? Um, what do we, what do we believe? I mean, like, I, I do think that there's there, there can be this, um, approach of like, just keep everything chill and there's no problems and, and tamp down any issues and, or not acknowledge things that are there. Um, and that's a way of stifling like the actual real rumble to use Brene Brown's word around, you know, something that's juicy. Um, yeah, I love that. That's a great, can great we talk insight. about that? Like, Cause I think we're, we're talking a bit about it a little bit, like getting down into that. I think this is really important because we all know that the, you know, the Peter Drucker culture eat strategy for breakfast. Um, but I think we have taken that to like mean something different than like really talking about culture. And so I wanted to talk about that, like the different yeah. levels of culture, that whole Ed shine iceberg model where the tip is, the stuff that you, the leaders say, here are our mission, values, vision, culture statements. And then, and so that's like the, the artifacts that we point to all the time and the stuff we say we're doing, even like, I think it, it even has to do with like the expected behaviors as a result. Like it's the stuff that 
we can all point to and say, yeah. this is the, this is the culture of my workplace. And then the next level is still is starting to be underwater and you can look at it, but it's the, but you still, it's underwater, meaning like it's the stuff about how people feel about the culture. And you can tell usually, even if you're the leader, even if you're removed, if you're coming in new, you're like, Ooh, I can see that people are frustrated by this, or I can see that people love it. And then way underneath the depths, the iceberg, which is the stuff that will sink your ship in the iceberg is, is all of that murky stuff that is those underlying assumptions that people aren't even saying, but we're making as we do this, as we like know people are, are in the culture over time. You're like, okay, I can see this. Nobody says it out loud, but we're all doing it. Or we're all understanding that this is the culture that I'm in. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I'd love to dive into it. Yeah, please do talk to me about anything that has anything to do with that stuff because (laughs) I I just love it. And I'm really interested. I think it's so important to how we think about culture. So it's, it's interesting. I'm going to go to that like next level down of like how people feel about the culture. And then we can go like even deeper because it's all so juicy. Um, you know, the, the piece with that, that I think is really interesting is like, we can define like organizations define all the time, their mission values, um, strategies, all kinds of things. Um, but then what do people actually do? If that's, even though if those definitions are misaligned with, with the actual culture, um, then people are doing different things and it, it, it creates, and, and maybe even leaders in, you know, senior leaders are doing different things in an organization, which can create all kinds of strife and issues. Um, the, how, the, how people feel and how they act, um, and then do they stay? Do they thrive? I mean, it's yeah. just, <laughs> it's just so, it's so powerful. Um, and even, um, you know, that's going to be different across an organization or across, you know, a community given that, um, you know, culture, those microcultures of a team might, might offset um, the, the larger, larger organization, the larger structure. culture, culture. Yeah. 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 So I think in that case, like we talk about, um, toxic cultures, um, you know, an organization might have a toxic culture in parts of it in pockets, but there might be like pockets that are pretty neutral or, you know, protected. Um, so I always, you know, like I, I'm careful to say like, okay, an organization has this overall culture. Great. There's, you know, uh, there's gradients across that, um, or differences across that. Um, I don't know, personally, I have been in great cultures and problematic cultures and, um, and it's definitely impacted my, um, I mean, I think that in, in some, well, I definitely know in some cases that, that it was, uh, very jarring for me personally, because I was like, is this really happening? Like, it felt like it was a lot of gaslighting um, where she's like, I, that's so fascinating. I don't I know. Gaslighting is so, I mean, I feel like gaslighting is something that I only really understood like that we as a society can talk about in the last several years. It's yeah. not some, like 10 years ago. I'm sure I experienced it, but I didn't have any language or understanding of it. No, 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 not at all. And, and I mean, I think that that's, it, it's such a good word, too. <laughs> um, but you know, giving language to things is really powerful. Labeling things is it, it's it gives us power. I think that that um, you you talk about bringing your whole self to work because this is our life. Like it's just it's our life, and I, I could go on and on about about that. But I'll just bring up a, a piece here: is that I feel like that the that in some of our organizations, we where we're really just very focused on, and I'll speak for myself, like I sat in like super cognitive, ignore my emotion, not helpful, <laughs> those kinds of things. But in a lot of cases where 
um, situations were not good for good for me or good for others, then I wasn't listening to my spidey sense. I wasn't listening to that gut. And those are the situations um, where I wasn't bringing my full self. I wasn't acknowledging, hey, this is wrong. And um, and this and thus participated in this this culture. So I would say that feeling piece, that second layer of, of kind of culture around how people feel about it, we have to get really honest about are we allowing ourselves to feel? Are we allowing ourselves to to be a feeling being wow. in our workplace or in our in our communities? And are, are we? I mean, that's the first most important question because I think regardless of whether we're allowing ourselves to, we, it, it's, it's happening. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> um, whether we're allowing ourselves to acknowledge it or just like bottle it up or pretend like we might be gaslighting ourselves. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I'm really interested in like, do you have either examples or suggestions about like what we as either leaders of, of a team or members of a team, even like if we're not the big giant organizational leader, what can we do when it comes to how feelings are happening about Mm -hmm. our culture? Yeah. I'll tell you something that I worked really hard on. And I, I, something like I would say the last year and a half, um, that I've been more and more and, and even, you know, last six months recognizing just how, um, how this is affecting me. So, uh, we, when we're, uh, experiencing something emotional or something very, you know, stressful, our bodies react, our, our, our physiology changes, our heart rate quickens, our breathing is more shallow, literally not getting enough oxygen to our brain. And, um, and recognizing that there is a, a bodily impact to whatever is super stressful. So, um, I, um, I realized that like for years I had been just like living in this heightened state of stress and, um, you know, calming yourself down is and taking a minute and we're not good as I'm going to say as leaders generally, we're not good at saying I need a minute <laughs> and, you know, taking it. Um, that's almost unheard of. Like yeah. the pause is not necessarily a good thing, but something that I've tried to do that has helped me kind of better understand my emotions is to actually, you know, calm myself down physiologically, like, like help my, my heart rate regulate. And it's just breathing, just just slow breathing. There's all kinds of breathing techniques. And, um, I took a lot of class summer of 2020 about, um, and actually studied all kinds of like breathing practices and their impacts on, on your bodily function. Um, and, and it's, um, that, I think that's step one is we have to actually recognize that we are triggered or in a heightened state of, um, of, uh, like emotionality. And, and before you can even really get real about what's going on, you've got to bring it down. A notch. Yeah. 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 So, um, so literally the, the, you know, taking a minute, a minute and a half to, to breathe, to put your head between your knees, um, all kinds of, there's all kinds of things you can do. Um, that's been helpful to me to like, actually get to the heart of whatever motion is going on. Um, because it's, it's in those pause moments that you can kind of check in and like, is this about this situation or is it about something else? Yeah. And, um, and especially when you're carrying a lot of work, you know, or I guess stress, um, it's probably a, an avalanche of things. Um, and, and until that's dealt with, it's hard to deal with the now. Um, but, but that could show up as, um, a, a you know, like less than productive interaction with someone on your team or a colleague that, you know, there's, there's stress and other things happening and somebody says something that is then triggering. Um, but I, I guess that there's then 
it, it should not be assumed that that light gets rid of all negative emotion because it doesn't at all. <laughs> it, what I'm trying to get at is that, that it helps you clue into like what's really going on. Um, and I don't, um, I don't know if you've seen the, the, oh gosh, I forget his name. Um, there's the permission to feel book and I forget the author's name. He's at Yale. Um, right, that's awesome. It, it's awesome. It's a great book. And in it has this like matrix of emotions and they have them color coded of like red and green and yellow and blue. And then there's all kinds of different emotions. And so the whole point of permission to feel is giving people emotional literacy. And that's something I do think that is very powerful and something we all need to work on. And being a, a Gen Xer was not necessarily a thing that I grew up with. Um, and, um, and so building emotional literacy to actually getting into like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm kind of numb or, (laughs) or I'm, um, overjoyed, um, and how how that, um, how that might sometimes look anxious, (laughs) those kinds of things, but giving ourselves that, um, those tools, um, to be emotionally literate can be powerful in understanding what's, what's actually going on. Um, I love Doesn't the idea of even talking about that because at work, we don't, we pretend like we don't have emotions at work, I know, but we're human and we get to say like, I'm, and I, I think about that, like the fact that we can be triggered, we talk about it in our personal lives and in the culture of our communities and families and friendships where we're like, Hey, this thing reminds me of this thing that happened to me five years ago. And so yeah. I need to like, take a minute. Cause that I'm, I have heightened, uh, anxiety right now. Can you imagine if we actually like acknowledge that at work? <laughs> It'd be very, very powerful. Yeah. Really powerful. Yeah. And, and, and it's happening anyway. Yeah. We're just without... not talking about it. It's that murky <laughs> stuff way underneath. No one talks about it. Yeah. 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 What's, what's coming into play or, or this reminds it, it can even be at an organization, you know, level of like this situation reminds me of this thing that went down two years ago. And so I'm triggered by it. like, that's not good. Like, um, and we're such, you know, pattern seeking beings, you know, are, you know, we're so good at that. Um, yeah, it's, I guess it's, um, it's so interesting that we don't talk about it. Um, I was in a, I just, I think it was two weeks ago. Um, there was a, uh, webinar that I attended with, um, Ariana Huffington, and she was um, talking about, um, various things around work and, and how to really flourish. One of the things that she brought up, which I I've heard it in other places. I just heard it most recently from her was that we've made assumptions about the human operating system and Mm -hmm. that we've, we have assumed with the industrial revolutions that, that we're like computers. And so we optimize for uptime and we optimize for like, you know, rationality and all kinds of things. And, and we have like completely discounted rest and emotional and uh, emotional well-being and emotions in general. Um, and so I think that that's one of those like things we don't talk about, but is one of the drivers of, of our work assumptions is that humans are computers. And we're yeah. not, we're not at all. No. I, I'm interested in what you think about as we think about work cultures um, <clears throat> during, and I know this only happened for, you know, people who are in many ways privileged to have the opportunity to work from home and to have it for a long period of time. Um, but I do think that that has maybe changed the way that we think about culture um, or at least opened up. I, I just feel like this culture conversation is so important right now. And maybe there's an opportunity for us to talk about it more generally because we got to see people a little bit more as people sometimes instead yeah. of just their work persona. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 The entirety of people. Um, I mean, if you were in, in a position where you could j- transition to home, you then had like, you, like, you can see the picture behind me. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, you get to know yeah. about who people are. Right? You do. You do. Yeah. And their families. Um, I've actually like loved seeing people with their kids run in like, oh, that just makes me so happy. Um, uh, I loved, I loved that. Um, and 
and yeah, I think it's actually reset how we how we think about uh, that that it's our life that there's not a separation between home and work, although there was a physical separation, and that then drove sometimes mental separations. But um, but that you know it's just we're just spending a lot of time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's still yeah. just life, and I, I'm interested in how different, like how. Because I feel like if we understand culture to be those definitions that we've had, we often talk about culture differently when we talk about it at work or when we talk about it Mm -hmm. in society or community um, and even at home. And so I'm just kind of interested because that blends, I feel like that really blends both. It gives us an opportunity to maybe understand that given that we can see people's home lives a little better. And now that we are more often working across lots of community boundaries, um, you know, we're not all from one community We're we're from all different places. And as we think about, well, so what's going to happen with our society as it becomes more and more global, those murky cultural assumptions that we're making no longer serve us because we're, we're not who like, like we're made up of lots of different types of cultural assumptions. So I'm just super interested in how you feel that is affecting either our workplace or even our own personal psyches right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because I would say that, and I think that, I think there's others that have had like this experience is that it's only been, you know, the past few years that I've recognized even culture outside of work. Like I, I absolutely know and, and realize it, but I will say like, frankly, I like, I don't, I don't have a culture. Well, sure I do. Like, um, and, and recognizing that has actually given me a lot of, um, perspective on other cultures and other ways of being. And, um, and even like some of the, the mindsets and assumptions that I work with, as, as we all get to know each other, I think what's really powerful is that if you're going into an office every day and you see people only in that, you know, kind of that dimension. And yeah. That, like that curated work self that we the, cur- the curated work shelf. Yeah. That, I mean, like we're masters at creating, you know, like, like the, the uniform, whatever we're wearing, yeah. our work clothes, um, our, our work persona, um, you know, I, like, uh, <laughs> I, I have work hair, you know, curl my hair, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, but we see each other in that. And then I, I think that that's like, you know, I'm, the image is coming to me like a paper doll because one dimensional remember paper dolls. Long yeah, time. yeah. Yeah. Very one dimensional. And that the, the experience of seeing people and hearing about what's going on. Cause I think that that's also what the, um, what the pandemic and work from home has really offered. It's not just seeing people's offices or, or bedrooms or basements, whatever it is, you know, um, and then seeing their, hearing their dogs or their kids or their families. Um, but, but also then, um, hearing people talk, I think we're talking more about what's going on in our, in our homes or, um, you know, or in our lives, like, you know, I needed to do this to help my child or, um, such and such as ill. So it's even the conversation has opened up, not just like what we're visually seeing. Do you Um, think that has to do with the whole idea of why our, you know, our news right now is always talking about the great resignation is, is that, is that aligned for you? Is that even a thing or are we making, are we hyping it? I I don't know. We have had quite a few resignations. (laughs) Um, And I'm, I'm part of that uh, resigning an executive position six months ago um, to, you know, to really focus on my PhD. Um, I believe it's Harvard did a study, does a study about women at work. um, And the latest one had, um, up from a quarter, one third of women were considering either taking a step back or leaving the workforce. Um, so I, I, it feels real. 
I don't know what criteria we decide real or <laughs> it's real or not, but it feels like what feels very real to me is people are making different choices about how they pursue um, sustaining their livelihoods and uh, pursuing their purposes. And um, that uh, kind of corporate, I'm going to work for someone and work in an organization um, is perhaps shifting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, we're not willing is- to make, like, I think it has to do with that too. I, I, I even think so in my, I felt like when I, after nine 11, I saw a lot of people changing their lives. I think mm-hmm. after a pandemic or during a pandemic, I'm not sure there's an after, um, mm-hmm. that we're, that people are reevaluating their lives. And my prior work was as a divorce attorney. I would see people doing that as well. Like when, when something big and traumatic is happening, in some ways it makes you take stock. So I'm going to put my little academic hat on for a yeah. second because Yay. it just, I love this. Um, it screams to me of transformative learning and transformative learning is all about our shifting or changing the assumptions or the paradigms in which we, we function. It's a very individual thing, but I, there's some, there's a few articles out about collective um, transformation. Um, and we certainly, 9-11 is a great example. Um, and the pandemic's another one of people like having some sort of experience in which they then are, are, um, they basically have this dilemma of like, this doesn't fit my template. I need to better understand this. And it's that reflection and I would, and critical reflection that allows you to reassess those and and make changes, which then just cascades through your entire life. Um, if you're underlying that murky stuff, if it gets changed, it's going to manifest itself in behaviors and in uh, patterns, in relationships, in ways of thinking and being. So your examples are, are perfect with divorce or um, I was, I offer that these big shifts at, at organizations also have, can have a transformative pa- um, impact on individuals. And I love that. I love any time that we're questioning uh, what's, what's going on. Like this doesn't, this doesn't fit or or can I understand this better? Um, so yeah, I, I feel like that that's, that's interesting. Happening. I've never thought about like, even because, you know, when you like at big organizations or small organizations, when new leaders come in, there's always a transformational effect, but you've always, you generally think it like it's because of the leader, but the leader is probably the, just the, the reason that you everybody's now questioning how we operate or what matters or like, that's why people launch into strategic plans probably is just because we're trying to get to the underneath of what really matters here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the new leader comes in with different ways of like different ideas. And for once you're introducing it's true, whether it's the, the CEO or president or any other kind of like visible leader, they have new experiences, new ideas, they're of course learning about the organization and honoring what it is, but they're, you know, they're hired to bring some of that perspective in. So of course things are going to shift and challenge. Um, and if they don't, it's kind of a missed opportunity. <laughs> so that I think that that's a really powerful thing. Um, it can be positive or it can be seen as, as a negative. It depends on how, um, I think it, you know, really depends upon the person coming in or the, the influence of, of the change. But yeah. If you like this conversation and you're interested in understanding more about the great resignation and how women have been affected by the pandemic, I encourage you to read the report and learn more by going to www.womeninTheWorkplace.com. You can also hear one of our past podcast interviews featuring our guest, Sylvia Castro, talking about priorities and how she juggles them as a working mom in season one of 92,000 hours. But until then, let's jump back in. So I love this, like underneath assumptions that we're making about culture that I, I think are really important, especially 
right now, if I, if we are able to take like, here's community culture and you kind of don't even know that you're attracted to it, but then you're there and you're in it and you're like, this feels like home. Um, but then there's like the, I, I'm, I don't even know how to talk about it, uh, but I'm feeling it a lot where I think our national culture feels like it's changing and it feels really scary to me because I feel like the, uh, the murky underneath assumptions that we're making about each other, that we're making about how we solve problems together are becoming a culture that that I don't know how to operate in, right? Like even lit, like how we are, how we fight with each other, how this is ages me, but as I grew up, I was always like, okay, so at some point the grownups in the room are going to make smart decisions because that's what we do in the United States. We make smart decisions. We handle things. And then like this pandemic scared the crap out of me because I was Mm -hmm. like, we are, we're not solving this. And, and, and the people that I thought were the grownups in the room, even, even now are not solving things mm-hmm. and it's shocking. <laughs> anyway, what yeah. do you think about like how culture oh. plays into that? <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, <laughs> it absolutely plays into that. You know, it's, it's interesting. I feel like, I, I feel like we're even arguing about the problem not just like how to solve it or that it should be solved. Um, but just that there is a problem. Um, it feels very uncomfortable, uncomfortable to me. And it definitely also, also scares me. Um, you know, something that I guess has really hit me through all this is some of the, and I, I have, it's hard to, it's hard to unwind my PhD journey over the last 18 months with, or, or 20 months, um, with what's gone on yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, in society, because, you know, I like just thinking about, um, the role and assumptions of capitalism in our, in our society. Um, and that's not getting into the heart of like who we even believe we are or who you, you know, how, what am I, what assumptions I have about you or what value I place, you know, just on, on the other person. Um, you know, that's, that's tricky. That's very tricky work. And I don't feel like that. Um, I guess I don't feel like we're aligned. I, I think before my assumption was that, and I've been guilty of this before was, was that everybody believed that we were all of value. And I think what's really scary is seeing that that's not the case. It's really scary. It is. It's so jarring because the implications are massive, massive, massive. And then doesn't it make you think also like, this is what I think about it, where I think about societal culture. I'm like, wow, this has been murky assumptions that I didn't even know were existing, that I was making assumptions about how we all operate and what what assumptions we're all making as we are part of this greater society that are very different than someone else in this greater society. Um, And that's a, like it feels big enough that I don't know how we solve it, but it's certainly worth calling out that it it exists and it's worth trying to solve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it's so interesting because there's from I oh, I'm searching for words sorry <laughs> <laughs> but the I guess the 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 infl- like the recognition that each of us are unique beings we have a variety of um, experiences that shape our um our perceptions, our beliefs, our assumptions. Generally, most of us have this template that we can either agree with or not agree with and work, work within. But I guess, you know, honoring the, the absolute and, and being curious about like what someone else believes and what someone else thinks um, without it threatening necessarily you asking the questions 
and being curious and, and, and truly listening with, without feeling like I need to change it or I need to solve it or, um, like the whole and, fear and judgment and as, that we come with. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, absolutely. The fear and judgment, instead of, of approaching it with, with empathy and interest, like true curiosity. Yeah. Um, and that, um, I, I think that that's like, a, that, like that takes work to get there. Um, I also, you know, I'm, I guess I'm kind of like what I'm wrestling with is I so want that. And I, so like, I, I see value in every single person. Um, and then it's hard when some of those beliefs make my skin crawl and just see how damaging and, and life-threatening they can be. Um, and I don't know quite what to do with that. <laughs> so that's part of my journey. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where the role of kind of our society of what's, what's, o, what's okay. And what's not okay might come into play, but I, oh, it's just such a, it's, it's a tricky topic and I'm not, I'm definitely not, um, someone who is versed in, in speaking about it. I'm just, you know, yeah. talking it's about totally, my own perspective. Totally make, it totally makes sense. But I think it's something that most of us are thinking about. I mean, regardless of where we sit in our society and, and within the micro cultures of our society, we're still thinking about it because it's everywhere around us right now that mm-hmm. we are in this place that is like, you know, challenging our assumptions and making us think about them. And it makes yes. it in some ways, it kind of reminds me like my, my go-to is I grew up very isolated in Utah and my first trip to Europe, I will always remember I was on a train and I was, you know, I was in my early twenties before I'd ever left the country. And I was on a train looking at outside the train as it goes across the countryside at people waiting on platforms for the train. And I remember thinking that I had grown up with an idea that people were other that I didn't know, right? Like these are the other people. I don't know them. They're different than me. And as I watched people standing on the platform, I was just at the time, like it was just the, and I think people have this when they, when they travel, like you're just opened up to people are still everywhere. People are people everywhere. Um, For example, as my, as my daughter went through her surgery last week, the level of people reaching out to me is enormous, was enormous. And I think it's because we all have empathy. We all love someone. Mm -hmm. And the idea of someone that we love being vulnerable can make us have compassion for other people. And I just don't know how we, get back to that. But I think it has to do with all the fear that we're, we're experiencing fear about things and we're using blame and shame and all that stuff rather than curiosity and empathy. Like Mm -hmm. you talked about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's so beautiful. I have, uh, yeah, trips, international trips, uh, can be so amazing in that, um, kind of opening our eyes. Um, I saw this sign, it was probably a sign that had been photographed and then put on Instagram, to be honest, <laughs> but, um, like we all see, <laughs> we, we all see yeah. that. Um, but, but it was like a question, like, like, how do I, how do you treat other people? And the answer was, there is no other. Love yeah. it. Just like, people. Yes. Just people. Gosh, yeah. Just people. Um, yeah. So, so beautiful. And if we can remember that we all love someone, um, yeah, that that's, I've, I've used that in my own, like, like irritation with someone like, you know, there's someone at home that loves this person that, that thinks that, <laughs> that he's amazing and that's great. <laughs> and I'm so glad. Um, yeah, that that's, um, we, we all recognize that that's beautiful. And yeah. It's so, yeah. It's so wonderful that you received the sport that you needed. And that's, I mean, that's a oh, yeah. piece of culture and, and society. That's just beautiful. I, I think sometimes we, we talk about culture as, you know, some of all of its negative things and it definitely absolutely has it. Um, but there's some, there's some positive, um, some positive. Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, it challenged my assumptions because I had made assumptions 
even about my own workplace culture, where I had made assumptions that I didn't even realize I was making that I thought I'm not going to be fully supported mm-hmm. in this experience I'm about to have. And mm-hmm. I'm already sad about it. Like I already was sad about it. And yeah. then when I went through the experience, it wasn't that it was the opposite of that. And people were lovely to me from all types of situations at my workplace. And I, I, I'm, you know, I'm embarrassed about the fact that I thought that way, but I love that I, that that challenged me. And in some ways I'm so grateful that I had such a difficult personal experience that also allowed me to have a different workplace. Yes. 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 And you were open to that being, which is really, sometimes when we make those assumptions, we're kind of like only seeing the, the things that align with our assumptions. So the fact that you were open enough to like really receive um, the, the gift of that support and then recognize like, Hey, this challenged what I believed. And now I have uh, to keep, I, now I have to hold on to that yes. because the other assumptions I've been making are going to keep happening yep. and I'm going to have to like actively remember yes that there's more to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, so kind of learning one thing on learning the other. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you a question with that? Cause of course. Yeah. So, so how do you unlearn something like what do you do to remind yourself reflection 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 for me like I and being active about it like I Mm -hmm. have to actually do this work listen to this podcast remember remind myself to like okay at the end of the day what was good that happened today and and I'm trying right now really hard in all of my interactions with coworkers to really come into it without my armor. And and before I go into a meeting, I actually say those words, like what armor do I have right now? How can I put it down? So that, and that sounds kind of crazy and hoo-hoo because we all don't normally do that, but it's, it's what, it's how I'm trying. I don't know if I'm successful yet, but boy, am I trying. I love that. Well, I want to finish up by asking you a question that I didn't um, let you know I was going to ask you. So I'm just going to get it off the, okay. the off the cuff answer. Um, I am a deep believer in the power of mentors in our lives. And I think mentors show up in lots of different ways for us. We, the, you know, it's someone might be a mentor in that they don't know that you're there, your mentor. So I'm interested in you telling me about um, a mentor in your life that has had some uh, influence on you. Um, okay. In reflection about culture. Yeah. I had somebody who had a big, it was a cult, it was an organizational culture, but it had a big impact on me individually. And that was a former president, um, of a division that I was working for at Pearson and my, this is 2010 and my, I guess I was there about four months. Um, but there was a big meeting and he was talking to the whole group and I will say that I was too naive to think that perhaps, you know, maybe he wasn't telling the truth. Like I think about it, if I was sitting there today, I'd be like, ah, do you really mean that? But at that point I'm like, okay. So what he said was, um, I'm giving you all a hundred feet of rope to hang yourself with. And I expect you to use it and I expect you to learn from it. And when you do, I'll give you another hundred feet of rope. And, and I could remember, I don't know what hotel it was, but it was a hotel conference. Like it was very memorable (laughs) experience. And, um, and he meant it. He really proved that that was true. I saw that from my colleagues with me, many failures, (laughs) um, and would always ask me what I learned from it and send me on my way with more trust. It was remarkable how that, um, that taught me how to risk and how to be brave, courageous in my role. Um, and it, it was, it was incredible. Those, those years, um, learning that, um, I think it gave me the, the, like the tenacity to go after really hard problems that I was solving. Yeah. Um, and so that's like, that's somebody who, um, I'm sure he, like, we have, we still have a relationship today and I continue to learn from him, but he created that culture, that organization. He was definitely a mentor to me. 
um, and powerful, powerful figure in my development in that way. I love it. And I think it, I'm, I would imagine that early experience that informs you, especially of a good culture, a good work mm-hmm. culture of mm-hmm. what to both expect and now demand in your future cultures, right? Like Absolutely. When, when we have those good experiences, we know they can exist. I so appreciate you spending your time uh, with me recording this. You didn't have to do it. And it's so, what I learned from you is amazing. And I, I knew that I would, and I'm really grateful. And I hope that we can continue to have these types of conversations in our lives. I am so thankful. I, I was completely honored that you asked. And um, I just, uh, I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate the mission that you have with this podcast, as well as what you're trying to create the conversation, elevating the conversation in this world. So thank you so much. I want to thank my guest, Natalie Murray. I'm so looking forward to my own additional conversations I plan to have with her after having just scratched the surface here. You too can connect with her on LinkedIn. Next week, we will be joined by my guest, Dr. Michael Bassis. Michael Bassis is an educational consultant, sociologist, and a past president of several different universities. Above all, he considers himself a maverick and we'll be talking about vision. I hope you join us.